Okay, so let's go to our passage this morning. It's in Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. But before that, let us open with the word of prayer. Father God, we acknowledge your presence, Lord. We know that you are the one who's going to preach and teach us, O oh Lord, from your word. We know that your word is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all and every good work, O oh Lord. May your Holy Spirit guide us and help us to interpret and apply the principles that we're going to study this morning. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that you're going to use me, O oh Lord, as your messenger to deliver a message that will influence and impact the life of everyone who is here today and those who are going to listen to our recorded message, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you ultimately will be given all the glory, the honor, and all the praises. We commit to you also, Lord, some of our brothers in Christ are not feeling well, especially Brother Ronnie. May you bring him, Lord, a speedy recovery. I pray and hope that he'll have a great um, consultation with the doctor tomorrow and that you'll alleviate him of any symptoms that could be related to concussion, O oh Lord. And I pray that we'll be able to see him next Sunday, Lord, to rejoice in your great, uh, great uh, goodness and faithfulness to each one of us. And those who are traveling, O oh Lord, the Torios, and also um, Ian and Devin, O oh Lord, may you bring them back safe also, Lord, next week. And I pray that you will continue to help them, Lord, to be an influence in their family's life, O oh Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Are you a better prayer person or a planning person? Okay. Let me get a survey. If you are a, a better a better person in praying, raise your hand. Okay? How about planning? More of planning rather than praying. Good. Okay, so it's about divided, huh? Divided. But we will see in this passage this morning that God wants us to balance those two things. We know that praying is more gearing on the spiritual side, the divine side, and the planning is gearing more on the human side. But they are actually intermeshed together. They are interconnected. And we will see that from the life of Nehemiah. Last week when we talk about Nehemiah chapter 1, we have seen this great leader who was a lay leader actually because he was a cupbearer to the king. What are the four things that he did? First and foremost, when he found out the burdens of God's people in Jerusalem because of the destruction of the walls, he first asked. He asked the people, how is the remnant of God's people? How is the city of Jerusalem? And secondly, he did not stop just asking. He also wept. He mourned because of the shame, the disgrace, and the reproach that the people of God are experiencing in the face of their enemies. He didn't stop with weeping. He started praying. So after weeping and mourning for many days, he also prayed to the Lord God. And that's the essence of chapter 1. It's his prayer. And how did he start his prayer? He started his prayer by ascribing and attributing praises to the Lord. He said, you are a great and faithful God. You forgive sins. You forgive iniquities. And as I've said last week, that's how we start our prayers also. Remember the Acts, acrostic, A-C-T-S, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. Always start with adoration because that's what God deserves. Of course, it doesn't happen all the time. There are times that you just have a mouthful of words to pray, Lord, help me, and we will see that in chapter 2. But most of the time when we have our set time of prayer with God, start with praising Him, giving Him all the praises that He deserved. And then He started confessing. Not only the sins of his people, but especially his own sin. He said, we have sinned against you, Lord. We have sinned against you, Lord. So he included himself because he knows, 
he recognizes that it's not only his nation that sinned against the Lord, but it's also himself. He's part of the national sin, especially the sin of idolatry of the people of Jerusalem. And after he prayed, he did not say, Lord, I'm done with prayer. I have done my part. That's it. He said, Lord, if you will use me, I'm volunteering. Send me. Just like Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. So if you are here today, you have asked, you have wept, you have prayed, perhaps you are the answer to your own prayers. And God means to use you as the answer to your own prayers. And Nehemiah knew that. And that's the subject of our passage in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. And that's why I asked you a while ago, are you better praying or are you better planning when you make decisions, when you want to make a project for your own self or for your family? And remember, Nehemiah here was trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We don't need to do that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are rebuilding what? The life, our lives, our broken lives. We are rebuilding his own church, the lives of people who are broken because of what's happening in our lives. The struggles and the challenges in our life make us broken-hearted. And remember, the, the, the book of Isaiah tells us he is very close. God is so close to the broken-hearted and to the contrite in spirit. Sometimes God uses our broken-heartedness, our struggles, our challenges in life our difficulties in order to bring us closer to him because as you all know when we are prosperous successful accomplished we're enjoying the blessings of god we ignore him naturally speaking humanly speaking we do that we ignore him but when it comes to the lowest parts of our life that's when we get down to our knees and ask god for help but Nehemiah, as I've said last week, was not like that. His life was a life of prayer. He constantly prays. Even here in chapter 2, he made some plans on how to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He is always praying and asking wisdom from the Lord. May our life be like Nehemiah's life, a lifestyle of prayer. So let's take a look at verses 1 to 8. When we carry out a, a, a difficult task, the passage tells us that we should do two things, pray and plan. Pray and plan. Very simple, pray and plan. Not pray or plan, but pray and plan. We need to blend together praying and planning as we go on, rebuild the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, rebuild our lives, and be successful in our own projects. So let's look at verses 1 to 9. Here, we are told that when asking God for help, we need to prepare ourselves for the opportunities that He gives us. Prepare ourselves for the opportunities that God gives us. Verse 1 starts with, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, this is not the car, okay? This is not the Nisan car. Nisan is a is a month in the Jewish calendar, and they said it's about March or April. In chapter 1, verse 1, he mentioned the month Kislo. Kislo is about uh, November, December of our calendar year. So there's a space of about four to five months between Nehemiah's prayer and this point in time in chapter 2, verse 1, wherein he met with the king with his problem, with his plan to rebuild the temple, or the, the walls of Jerusalem. So four to five months. What does that tell us? He waited and waited and waited on God. He did not grow impatient, just like many people. God, I've been praying for four months or five months. Where's the answer to my prayer? Lord, I've been praying for, for my spouse to get saved. It's been five years. Six years now, but now John is saved after six years and baptized in our church. We should never grow impatient when we ask something from the Lord God. And especially with Nehemiah, it's a big project. Imagine 
rebuilding the walls is about 2.5 to 3 miles of wall. And that's a very tall wall. And because of the praying and the planning, of course, the hand of God, as I've said later on in chapters 5 and 6, they were able to finish the project in 52 days. Right now, there are so many constructions all over the lower mainland, here in Richmond, in Vancouver. It's been taking them many months already, sometimes years, to finish. But with God's help, and also with the human responsibility to pray and to plan, in cooperation with God's hand, everything will be accomplished in its own time and way. Sometimes our projects may not be finished in 52 days. It may be accomplished many years or months after we prayed. But the point here is that we should not grow impatient. We need to continue to wait on God's timing. Remember, when we pray, it's not our own timing and our own way. It's always His timing and His way. Because what happens if we want our own way and our own timing for God to answer our prayers? Well, God may answer our prayers, but it may not be the best one. It may be second best or third best. But when God says, now is the time, Nehemiah, to go to the king and share to him your struggles regarding the walls in Jerusalem. This is the proper time and this is the proper approach. I will give you success. And that's in the heart of Nehemiah. He knew that while waiting for four to five months, God will eventually answer his prayer. So let's take a look at verses 1 to 8. So it came to pass, passing the month Nisan, in the 28th year of Artaxerxes, the, the king, so this was the Persian king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. So as a cupbearer, he does not only give wine, a cup of wine to the king, he should taste the wine also. If there's food on a platter, he should taste that food. So being a cupbearer is a very important and privileged position. He's the first line. If there's any enemy of the king who would want to kill the king, he will be the first one to die. Right? So it's a very dangerous job. And he knows that responsibility that is so important and influential to the king. So when he comes to the king at this time, the month Nisan, five months later, he appeared sad. So now I had not been before time sad in his presence. And this is the tradition among kings during that time. I don't know about right now. If we appear before King Charles and we're sad or probably crying, I don't know what will happen to us. But during that time, when you appear before the king, especially if you're in the influential position, just like Nehemiah, you should appear happy. Even if you are pretending to be happy, you should be smiling and even laughing. Otherwise, what will happen to you? You're going to lose your life. They're going to kill you. That's the tradition. Because if you're sad, you're saying that you're not happy with the king. You're not happy with this way of um, governing his subordinates and that means you're displeased and if you're, you're displeased with the king he would take it negatively but you know what happened here even though he was sad God was so gracious to him God allowed him to share his problem with the king so what did the king say in verse 2 the king said unto me why is thy countenance sad seeing thou art not sick there is nothing else but sorrow of heart. No, you know, that phrase sorrow of heart means depression. The king can see through the heart of this Nehemiah, through his face, through his countenance, through his appearance. He says, the king says, you look depressed. What happened to you? Uh-oh, there's a great danger. If the, if the king says like that, you're depressed, oh no, I might be killed. Probably he's going to kill all his um, executioner and kill me right here, right now. So what was the natural response of Nehemiah? I was very sore afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid? Your life is at stake at this point in time because you appear sad before the king. And it is what he said to the king. 
That's why I told you a while ago, you need to prepare for the opportunities God gives you. God may give you this opportunity for you to be an asset to, to your own prayers at that right time. And if you're not ready, you have not been thinking about this even ahead of time, then you will be surprised and shocked. Oh, well, what would I say? What would I say? How would I say it? So perhaps Nehemiah had been rehearsing what to say to the king just in case this happens. This reminds me of Daniel. Most of you probably know Daniel, a young prophet, together with his three young dudes, young bodies in Babylon. They were conquered, Israel was conquered by Babylon and these young people were brought to Babylon in order to learn the, the science, the knowledge of the Babylonians. At one time, they were offered this food and wine from the king so that they can be nourished, they can be healthy, so that before they appear to, appear the, to the king, they'll look healthy and the, the king will be happy with them. But you know what Daniel said? I cannot take that food and wine because they're offered to the idols. I beg to refuse that. Just give me vegetables and water for several days and compare our health our physique, our body, to the other people who are taking the food and wine from the king. At first, the king's supervisor did not want to do that. But later on, okay, what's the problem? There's a small risk, so oh, I'll allow you. And he allowed Daniel and his young boy, young friends to do that. And lo and behold, after several days, they appear more healthy than the other people who took the food and the wine of the king. My point is this, in Daniel 1, it says, he resolved in his mind. He, that means when he make a resolution not to accept the food and wine from the king, he has already that mindset. He prepared already ahead of time, if this thing happens to him, what would I do? What should be my response? And that's when praying and planning comes together. That's why we need to pray and to plan. And as we are planning, we also are pray, praying just like Nehemiah. So what did Nehemiah say in verse 3 to the king? He said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? So we see here Nehemiah was bold in his request. He knew that this is the opportunity that God is giving him through the king to share the difficulties in Jerusalem. And he's ready to take the risk. He's prepared to take the risk, whether he's going to be killed by the king or not. But he knew that the good hand of God was upon him. So he laid down the problem to the king. And lo and behold, the king did not respond negatively. Actually, he responded positively. Look at verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? What is your request, my cupbearer? That's the fruit of four to five months of prayer and waiting on God and plain planning while praying. So you see, that's what we should do also as God's people. That's what we should do also as a church. As we plan, we pray, and as we pray, we plan also and continue to wait on God. And when that moment, that opportunity comes for all of us, for God to fill up this whole church with more people, Lord willing, 50 more people at the end of the year, then we are ready to respond the issue. The same with Nehemiah, he did that. He prayed and he planned, and he prepared for the opportunities that God has given him. And as I've said a while ago, he was a man of prayer. So even though the king said, what's your request? He did not just say right away, okay, these are my requests. King, give me this, give me that, give me permits, give me everything that I need. What did he do next? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Even though he had prepared for the opportunities, he had made some plans, he continued on praying to the Lord. That's what we need to do as God's people. 
as we carry out the task that God has given us, continue to pray. And we are not praying to the gods of this world. We are praying to the God of heaven. The God who is the supreme being. The God who is above all things. Whose name is above all names. And the name on whom everybody will bow down at the end of time. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of heaven is the one that we pray to. So in verse 5, he laid down the request. He said, if it please the king, take note, he was so polite, even though he was, uh, he was very bold and confident in laying down his request, he was so polite to the king. Of course, you need to be polite to this authority. Just like to our prime minister, to the president in the United States, or any leader in the whole world, we still need to respect their position. When we meet them, we need to be polite to those people. Because remember, all those authorities have been ordained by God. Romans chapter 13 tells us. All authorities have been ordained by God. Even though they are wicked or good, they are all appointed by God to be used by His kingdom. It doesn't appear to be logical. But that's what the Bible tells us. That's why we need to respect the position, respect the authority of those leaders. And that's what Nehemiah did. He politely said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Here we see Nehemiah not, being, not only being bold and polite, he was so wise in sharing his request. He did not mention Jerusalem. He mentioned Judah, the southern kingdom. And you know why he did not mention Jerusalem? Because this same king in Ezra was the same king who said, you cannot rebuild the temple because Ezra was brought to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This is the same king who said and made the decree, you cannot rebuild the temple of your God. So now, he's telling the same king, we, I need to rebuild Judah, not Jerusalem. Because otherwise, if Artaxerxes will find out that he's going to rebuild Jerusalem, he might not be given a permission to go from Persia and to go to Jerusalem. He's being wise. And the Bible tells us to be wise, just like serpents, but innocent and harmless, just like doves. Matthew 10, 16. In the way we deal with unbelievers, Nehemiah was dealing with an unbeliever. Is he lying? Wasn't that a lie? Of course not. Because he was not obliged, as we are not obliged also, to divulge all information when some people ask us about our plans. If we tell them, some of your plans, but not all your plans. You're not lying. You're just keeping some of them because you don't need to reveal everything. Just like when you share your life story, for example. You don't tell them everything about you. You don't tell them all your wickedness, all your sins. Because we are not here, like in, in my old religion, when you tell your priest all your sins in, in your confession. You tell that only to God. But to some people, you keep some information, especially if that's not important to the person that you're talking to. So Nehemiah said, my, my city, uh, my nation, Judah, is needed to be rebuilt, especially its walls. So the king said again, positively, the queen also sitting by him, verse 6, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So that's how we see that Nehemiah has been granted favor from the king. Because the king said, oh, I cannot let you go. You're so important. Who will be your substitute? Who's going to be my food taster and wine taster? You're my trusted advisor also. But the king said, the king said, how long will be your journey? How long will you be gone? Actually, he will be gone for about 12 years in order not only to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but also rebuild the lives of God's people. 
Because as we see all throughout the book of Nehemiah, God's people's lives were also ruined. Their morality has sunk into the deepest area of their life. They become so wicked and immoral, especially that they have been unequally yoked with unbelievers, most of the people. So he, that, he did not need only to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He needed also to rebuild the lives of God's people. So he stayed there for about 12 years. And here in verse 6, So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So that's 12 years according to the book of Nehemiah. So he became bold in his request. So he said, oh, he's allowed me to come back to Jerusalem, to Judah. Now I can ask him for more, more things. So verse 7, he said, Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king. So you see how polite he was. He was always saying, if it please the king, if I found favor in your sight. So he's always saying, if this is okay with you, if this is okay with you, my king, then let it be. Let it happen. So he's granting the king the opportunity to say yes or no. He was not commanding the king, just like some of us would say, okay, do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. He was telling the king, if it pleases you, if it's okay with you, will you grant my request? So what's the next request? He said, let letters or permissions be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. He needed some protection from the enemies because as we will see all throughout Nehemiah, they will have enemies that will oppose the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And along the journey, of course, they will go through valleys, forests, and there will be dangerous animals, dangerous people, uh, opponents, of God's people, so he will need these letters in order for them to be permitted to go back to Jerusalem. And not only that, verse 8, he said, a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, because he will need beams for the gates of the palace and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. He needed materials for rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Something came up to me when I was studying this passage. How did he know this Asaph? Asaph is a Hebrew name. How did he know the keeper of the king's forest? What comes to mind is that while he was praying, he was doing his own research. He was researching. He was not just relying on God to just shower him with miracles. He did his own part, just like our title for this message is Balancing the Divine and the Human. There's the divine help that comes from God, and there's this human responsibility on our part to do our own research and planning for the project. And that's what you do. When you're in school, in your work, you have a certain project. If you are a believer in Christ, you pray. At the same time, you make some plans. You do research in order to be successful in accomplishing your project. And that's what Nehemiah did. He prepared, he prayed, and he planned very well. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. The king granted me. The king permitted all my requests. But he, did he get the credit? Did he say, because I'm so good in praying, I'm so good in planning. He said, according to the good hand of my God. Again, he gives glory and honor to the Lord God. The same with all of us. When we become successful in accomplishing our projects, we pray, we plan, and of course, ultimately, we give glory to the Lord. When people say, you're so successful in your job, you're so successful in your ministry, what do we say? Thank you for saying that. But ultimately, it's because of the good hand of the Lord that is upon me. Take note, he said, the good hand of my God upon me. Upon me. He knows that he was anointed and appointed by God to be the leader of his people in order to rebuild the world. And he considers God as my God. If you are here today, is the God that we worship, the God in the Bible, is he your God? Or is he the God of another person? 
or is he your God? I hope you can say, he is my God. And how can we say that he is my God? Remember, the Bible tells us that God is represented in human form by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He can be your God. Jesus Christ can be your God. If you admit that you are a sinner, acknowledge that you have sinned before God. And because you cannot go to heaven, you cannot be saved other than through Jesus Christ by grace through faith, then you acknowledge that it is only Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to, 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 to the Father except through Him and Him alone. And by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and He rose again on the third day, He is the true God of this world. And the Bible says, if you call on His name, you shall be saved. Tell him, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you because I am a sinner. I am wicked through and through. I believe that I cannot save myself. I cannot go to heaven by my own good works, but it's only through Jesus Christ. So I believe on him. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I call on him and I receive your promise of eternal life. I know that I'm going to heaven because of him and him alone. That's how you know that God is your God, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So in verse 9, Nehemiah said, Then I came to the governors beyond the river, gave them the king's letters, the, the permission to go through um, Judah and Jerusalem. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen. He did not request the horsemen and the army. So God gave him more security, more protection, even though he did not ask the king. That's the bonus. That's the blessing that we get from God. Sometimes we ask God, God, just use me in the life of this person. I want him to be saved. I want his own family to be saved also. But more than that, sometimes God gives you more people to reach out to. And those are the bonuses. Those are the extras that God gives us. Extra blessings that sometimes we don't ask. That's why the Bible says sometimes we ask God and He gives us over and beyond our imagination, above our prayer request. You know why God gave him more and extra blessings in his life? Because he was faithful. He had faith in God. He believed that God will work upon his life. And he expressed that all throughout his life. He prayed, he planned, and he constantly waited on the Lord God. And later on in the book of Nehemiah, he did not charge God's people for his paycheck. He said, I'm okay. I'm doing this without any pay. My payment is just the rewards that come from God. My heavenly, eternal rewards. That's a very commendable leader among the people of God. He was not a theologian. He was not a very spiritual person in terms of knowing probably the Bible that much. But he knows much about the Bible to know that this God that he serves wants people to be faithful, wants people to be available, wants people to be patient towards him especially during the praying and the planning time. Here in verses 1 to 9, we see that we need to understand God's ways first and then plans, the plans of God before we go on, do our own planning. And how do we know God's ways and God's plans? It's in here, in our Bible. The Bible that has been translated into thousands of languages right now. How is it that sometimes when we pray and we plan, we ignore God's ways and plans in our life? We don't come to Him first. We ignore Him, we neglect what He can do in our life. And that's the formula for failure. If you want to fail, just do your own planning without committing your plans to the Lord. But if you want to be successful, always commit whatever you do to the Lord and he will help you to succeed that's in the book of Proverbs 
And as I've said a while ago, be both innocent and wise when, when dealing with unbelievers. I'll give you an example. Uh, let's use an example with, for example, with, with animals, right? If you are like probably a zookeeper, you work in a zoo, uh, you're taking care of this uh, lion. What do you do? Well, you usually feed the lion, right? You become kind, you're nice, you're friendly to the lion, but at the same time, you protect yourself from the lion. You cannot, you don't get very near to the lion, otherwise you know that the lion will devour you. He will kill you. That's the nature of that animal. So the, the, the same way we deal with the unbelievers, be nice, be kind, compassionate, and loving to them, but at the same time, you need to know your boundaries. You need to know that you are already being unequally yoked to another unbeliever. And how do you know that? Again, go to the Word of God. In your business dealings, young people, when you're getting married, you know that the Word of God says, don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. It doesn't mean that you isolate yourself from those people, you still remain in contact with them, but the moment that you know that they are influencing your lifestyle, that they're pulling you towards the world rather than towards the Word of God, then you need to know the boundaries. Stop that kind of relationship. And the Word of God tells us that. Be both innocent and wise when dealing with unbelievers. And again, align your desires with God's intentions. Nehemiah is always aligning his intentions with God's desires. It's not the opposite way around. Because sometimes, God, this is my plan, this is my will, will you accept it? No, it's not the way it is. We don't give him a blank check, and then we ask that God, just sign this, and then later I just put my, the amount that I want. It's not that way. We let God first, his intentions, his ways and plans, to sink into our hearts, and then we join him. We join him. That's why in many churches, even though some churches are being successful in this era of ministry and one church is not, it doesn't mean that we need to follow their approach to ministry. Every church is unique. Every church can be used by God, just like every individual Christian can be used by God in a unique way. Because each one, each one of us has a special gift that comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So God can use any one of us according to his ways and the gifts that he has given us. We should not compare ourselves to other churches. We should not compare ourselves to other people. Just compare yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our role model. He's the best example that we need to follow. Secondly, in verses 10 to 20, as we balance the divine and the human, when you ask God for help, you carefully and diligently plan ahead. The key word is plan ahead. You don't just make plans when the opportunity is already here. What if the king said to Nehemiah, oh, now I'm giving you permission. And then Nehemiah said, oh, no, I haven't made plans any yet. I haven't made any plans yet. So he would scramble for time. He would, he would cram. What would I do? What's my next step? How can I rally God's people to join me? Remember, this rebuilding of the wall would take thousands of people to finish it for 52 days. What if... He presents his plan, his, um, his um, plan that, that he made uh, quickly and without much planning ahead of time to people. Probably the people will say, I don't like your plan because it seems that your plan has just been made last night. You have not really researched and thought about your plan. So we cannot join you. We cannot cooperate with your project. So what would happen? This is a big failure already. But Nehemiah teaches us how to plan ahead of time and do it carefully and diligently. So let's look at verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, these are the opponents. These are the opposition to the rebuilding of 
the walls of Jerusalem. These are half Jewish people. Okay? They grieved exceedingly that there was a come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Right there and then in verse 10, we see Nehemiah when he approached Jerusalem, who are the first group of people that he met? The enemies of God. So what do we see here? We see that when we are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, when we are trying to accomplish the project that God has given us, the first thing that we're going to face is opposition. Sometimes the opposition may come from the, from the church itself. Sometimes the opposition will come from outside the church. But we should not sur be surprised. Nehemiah was never surprised. He knew that there will be opposition. Especially if we are really reaching out to the lost people in Richmond, we will encounter so much opposition. People will persecute us. And sometimes that's a problem with the local church right now. Sometimes we talk that we are not experiencing much opposition because we are not doing much for the kingdom of God. Just imagine the Lord Jesus Christ when he was doing miracles and teaching people about the kingdom of God. How many people opposed him? The groups of people that opposed him were actually the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, all those groups that are opposed to God himself. Jesus Christ was never surprised. Nehemiah was never surprised. And we should never be surprised also. We should expect opposition when we are carrying out the work of God. Now in verse 11, he said, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. He was not faced with the opposition. Even though there was opposition, he didn't say, Oh no, there's too much opposition here. I need to go back to Persia. I'm not going to continue this project. There will be opposition. I don't expect that to happen. But he said, I just came to Jerusalem, stayed there for three days, and start my careful planning, my diligent planning and researching on how to go about my blueprint for this project. So in verse 12, he said, I arose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. So he came to, the, to Jerusalem and looked at the walls at night, only with a few people, probably with some of the leaders, but he did not ask everybody to join him in this research, in this careful planning. Because he wanted to focus. He doesn't want to have so many disagreements right away with the plans, but he wanted to see himself the problem and how can he solve the problem with the help of God. So in verse 13, I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and to the down port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So what did he do? Verse 15, went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall, wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. So when he saw the problem, while praying also at the same time, he had this great plan that comes from God. This is God's plan. And he's just using himself. God is using him, uh, Nehemiah in order to rebuild the walls. And now, in the next few verses, he is ready to tell his people. He knew that he will be successful. That he knew that he will be able to rally the people to cooperate in God's work. So in verse 16, the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress. So this is pep talk, motivational talk to his people. You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies wait, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So he appeals to the, to the sympathy of God's people. He tells them, have you seen this place, this ruin, this broken? Are you not going to do something about it? Help me, cooperate with me, join God's work in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. 
And that's how we do ask people to help. We gain their sympathy for God's work. Just like when we, when we call out people to go on the weekend, just like yesterday to King George Park, uh, some of you probably received my text message. I said, another evangelism opportunity at King George Park at 1 p.m. So I'm appealing to your heart. Don't you want to be involved in witnessing to people, telling them that they are lost and that they can be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? So you appeal to the heart of the people because that's what in the heart of God's people at this point in time. They are in, in severe reproach and disgrace because they don't have protection from the walls of Jerusalem. And now he was ready to tell them, come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. A great motivation to God's people, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem. For the reason, the very reason that we can never be a reproach anymore to God's people. The same with all of us as a church. The pastor or even the leaders of our church will always call everybody, come and join our fellowship. Come and join our Bible study. Come and join our community in reaching out to the lost people so that people will know Jesus Christ, so that they will not be going to hell. Instead, they'll be going to heaven. Isn't that what's close to our heart? Isn't that our heart's desire? We don't just want people to fill this whole building. We want people who are going to be saved to fill this church so that they can be with us in heaven sometime very, very soon. So what did the people say in verse 18? Then I told them of the hand of my God, which is good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So they agreed with Nehemiah because they saw in Nehemiah that he was not only bold and confident, but he knew that God is on his side because he was always telling, the hand of my God is good upon me. And also the king's words. So the king of heaven is covering Nehemiah's plans. And not only that, even the king of Persia. You can never fail. Because the divine king and the human king are both on your sides. Isn't that a beautiful approach to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem? Nehemiah said. So... The people of God said in Jerusalem, yes, we're all in. We're going to help you. Let us rise up and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And again in verses 1920, when Sanballat the Horonite, again, this opposition comes in again. Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to, to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? In the first part, in verse 10, these two people were grieved to see Nehemiah coming to Jerusalem to seek their welfare. But now they spoke and said, what are you doing now? Are you rebelling against the king? Because during the time where you're doing a, a big project, especially in a nation that is under the rule of another nation, just like Persia, people will think that you are going to rebel against the king. You don't want to become a slave of this foreign nation anymore. And that's why these enemies of God would say, are you rebelling against the king? And they laugh, they mock them. Because later on, if you read the book of Nehemiah, they will say, even a fox that jumps over this wall will, be, will destroy it because it's not founded firmly. They're going to laugh and mock God's people. That's what the enemy does. But again, the, the question is not what the enemy does to us, but how do we respond to the opposition? Verse 20, Nehemiah answered and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Very bold, very confident, and very witty 
comment and remark towards God's enemies. He said, no matter what you do, God is on our side and he will make us successful. But as for you, you don't belong here. You have no part in this responsibility to rebuild the wall. I will just ignore you and I will just focus on the work that God has given us. We can also be focused on the rebuilding of this church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's going to build this. But we are here to cooperate and to work with him. To work with him as he guides us into his own direction. So in conclusion, as God's people, the Bible tells us through this passage, to blend and to combine prayer and planning in whatever situation we are in. Blend prayer and planning at all times. As you are praying, you plan. And as you are planning, continue to pray. But we must avoid going from one extreme to another. Sometimes, just like as I asked you a while ago, are you better on praying or are you better on planning? Sometimes we spend too much time praying that we don't get to plan. Sometimes we spend too much time planning that we don't get to pray. So balance that out. Balance the divine and the human. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage before us, teaching us, Lord, to always combine praying and planning in whatever project or plan that you have for us, individually and also as a local church. Help us, Lord, to continue to seek your ways and to follow your ways and to be guided by your word, by your truth, into the direction that you are pulling us into. Help us, Lord, to be not only planners, but also prayer warriors. Help us, Lord, to balance the divine and the human. And we know that as we do this, we know that in the long run, in the very near future, we will all be successful individually and also corporately. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all stand up, please.